0: from a fruit market in Tel Aviv to a fish seller in Taipei. The people of our world are working hard to make a living. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International.
1: Thanks for joining us on Radio Taiwan International. I'm Emma Banak, bringing you 50 minutes of English language features. Up ahead in today's program, after Here in Taiwan, we have Behind the Beats, which is a music show that I host. But first, we're going to begin with Here in Taiwan. You're listening to Here in Taiwan on Radio Taiwan International. I'm Emma Benek, and I'm joined in the studio today by Brendan Wong.
0: Hi, everybody. Hi, Emma.
1: Hello, hello. So we're going to be talking about a wide range of stories today, uh, ranging from Uh, a Taiwanese gender studies uh, researcher and author who shares her perspective on gender equality in Taiwan, which will connect to a later story we have about um, a certain bar in Taiwan that's been refusing entry to white males. We're also going to be talking about how lawmakers are trying to stand up for rabbit's rights as we get closer to the year of the rabbit in terms of the Lunar New Year. And last, if you have some time, we'll talk about how Taipei was ranked the 13th best city in Asia. All that coming up in just a bit. All right. So our first story is about this research and this book that was written by uh, this Taiwanese author, Lu Xiangyan. And the name of the book is Toxic Masculinity, which Mm -hmm. I feel like is a term that's definitely become increasingly popular over the past I don't know, five to ten years. Right. Um, not that this is a new concept that exists, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I just thought that it was interesting the research that she did for this book, talking about how Taiwanese society and its LGBT community are are both influenced by Western conceptions of masculinity, mm-hmm. um, and how yeah this how this affects them, and yeah, I think it's interesting because. I don't know. When I first came to Taiwan, I did feel like there was sort of a different sense of masculinity here in that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I felt like in the U.S. people are always trying to be like super buff and macho. And I feel like Taiwanese people are a bit more reserved in that Mm -hmm. way. They're not quite as like forward and assertive as I feel like um, men can sometimes be in the U.S. Yeah um but uh yen um sorry uh lu shang says in her uh interview and as well as in the book that she wrote that this is like increasingly changing in asian countries because um western popular culture um is such a big influence and yeah. so um that taiwan's definition of masculinity is becoming more similar to the west in terms of having physical strength military prowess and competence in sports yes um and so this has been seen apparently in terms of not always that i would uh definitely not all in ways that i would consider negative like in some ways, she points out more people are getting into fitness like going to gyms and working out and being um yeah just i guess caring about their health which could be for a variety of reasons whether it's because you know they really want to get in in better shape and treat their body better or because they feel like they have to meet this standard of being really strong mm-hmm. and athletic because that's what a man is supposed to be like. Yeah. I don't know. Have you experienced <laughs> this all living in Taiwan? Yeah.
0: I mean, what you just said, there's just so much to impact. And also in this scholarly piece as well, there's just a lot to impact in terms of the gender dynamics within Taiwan. And from my perspective and my experiences, I definitely see that see taiwan being influenced a lot by western media Mm -hmm. we consume a lot of western media entertainment and i think over the years i personally definitely see a lot of people thinking associating masculinity with like more muscles or like a bigger build Mm -hmm. and that is not what i think i grew up feeling but Mm -hmm. nowadays i definitely feel like there is more you know there's more media going around and even on instagram or like if you're on tiktok i think sometimes you have more opportunities to um, be exposed to Western media. And I think I totally see how like that can influence our perception of what masculinity is mm-hmm. and how that can also affect the way like the LGBTQ community um, is associate. Oh with well, their relationship with masculinity. So, yeah, I think um, to me, to me, though, like I think um, it's very interesting because I think I was also reading stuff about like in Korea where like uh, men apply makeup. Um, whereas like, you know, I think that's perceived as to be very feminine mm-hmm. in um, in the Western world or like in the U S in particular. Yeah. So and I think very, a lot
1: more men have, have plastic surgery in Korea yeah. as compared to other countries. Like It's very normalized. Mm-hmm. It's not
0: something that like is perceived to be like, um, feminine or masculine Mm -hmm. uh, it's just very yeah normalized in the society so yeah to me i think based on like cultural differences and how that influences our perceptions of masculinity and femininity that's always very interesting to me
1: yeah i agree i mean when you bring up the topic of makeup i feel like yeah i feel like there's such a fine line between where products like makeup go between maybe making people feeling more empowered or feeling like they can express themselves creatively through their makeup Mm -hmm. um, versus people feeling like they have to wear makeup like mostly women because um, you know maybe they won't be taken seriously or maybe they uh, people won't be attracted to them and that that's a goal that women should have that to, to be seen as attractive and that we need to buy all these products in order to make ourselves more appealing and just more feminine. Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting like hearing that men are uh, also embracing makeup in some parts of the world. And yeah, I don't yeah. know if for them if they feel like this is something that they have to do because they need to conform to some sort of perfect standard of making sure like it looks like their skin is really nice mm-hmm. or if they like, putting on makeup because yeah they just like the way that it makes them feel
0: yeah and i want to go back to a point that you made earlier in terms of um like western influences on taiwan there's this phrase that i always like heard growing up which is called which is like this idea that you know taiwanese people or like this idea that taiwanese people really admire western beauty standards Mm -hmm. and that can include like um like what it the definition of beauty is for women but also what the definition of masculinity is for men and what that is and what i think taiwanese people some taiwanese people strive for mm-hmm. and so i think that does sometimes come down to be like a derogatory term as well i think some people perceive that as like a not okay thing to want to aspire to western beauties but also at the same time i think if you walk down like the streets in taiwan often you do see a lot of like Uh, non-Taiwanese models I guess um, modeling different products Mm -hmm. in the beauty sections as well and so I don't know it's very hard to I guess disentangle this um, influence of like western media on Taiwanese people but also yeah I don't know it just seems like a hodgepodge of like it's like it feels like a mess but also it seems natural too that like there we could be influenced by um, like western culture because we're not like in, in isolation with other people
1: yeah yeah i do think that's interesting and another point that lou brought up in her book is that um kind of this idea that being smart is associated with being nerdy. And I feel like that's interesting to compare the East and West between because I still think that, you know, intelligence is valued in Western society. Mm -hmm. But um, (laughs) yeah, I feel like there's definitely not the same pressure to be, you know, getting top of your class and everything. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, like if I, I never experienced this or really saw it very much in my school that people who were smart were, you know, kind of cast aside as nerds. Like there are definitely people that were popular and athletic who were also smart, but I feel like it's interesting to consider in Taiwan where I feel like there's so much more pressure based on um, like how smart you are, how well you perform in classes and if that somehow makes you more of a man in some way and if that idea is shifting in terms of how it's more important to be attractive or really athletic and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. and. To your point of, like, um, growing up, what you see as, like, people's main focus, I do think that, like, people do try and pursue, like, intellectual achievements over, like, physical development Mm -hmm. in the sense that, like, I don't think, I think uh, it was only after college that I realized a lot of people maybe in high school already got into, like, uh, Mm -hmm. weightlifting or, like, you know, drinking protein shakes and stuff, which to me was never really like a very prevalent thing in Taiwan. I mm-hmm. think most people really just like focus more on the brain development area mm-hmm. or like try to do something that was less like somewhat uh less focused on like how they appeared physically mm-hmm. in terms of like having a muscular build. Um and I think that probably ties into like again like the type of movies that we consume and the types of um like celebrities as well. Because mm-hmm. I think if you look at a Taiwanese celebrity overall in general versus like um, I think in the US for instance like there are always these like superhero mm-hmm. uh, celebrities who like go undergo like ma- like crazy body transformation and they have like just like a muscular build and I think that may influence the way people think what they should aspire to be or like what the um, beauty standard is and in just in Taiwan like overall I think <laughs> celebrities as well like there just isn't that like pursuit of like the like biggest muscles
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think it's also an issue in the u.s where there are lots of asian americans Mm that um i don't know that asian american men are sometimes not treated as masculine necessarily as white males i mean like i feel like the first the first superhero movie that i ever saw starring an asian actor was like Shang-Chi or something like that just came out, I don't know, last year or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And so, yeah, I think that it's important to give like young people um, kind of like, not a role model as in you need to be a superhero, but to be able to see people that are strong as as someone that you can also see in yourself and that sort of thing. And I just think it's so, it's just difficult because you don't want to push it too far that you feel like, oh, They need to be like this if they're going to be someone, I don't know, worthy Worthy of being a man or anything like that. But at the same time, you don't want to like entirely neglect that idea.
0: Yeah, I feel like you just opened a can of worms that can go on and on Mm -hmm. in terms of how um, Asians and Asian-Americans are represented in film in Western media. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like you said, there is a long history of like um, Asian-Americans or Asians in general just being represented as like, Um, not sexually attractive or not sexually desirable Mm -hmm. and so that is like a whole issue that also in turn in in wanting to overcome those stereotypes you also have a lot of things that you want to try and not you know fall into the um holes Mm -hmm. of and I think it's just kind of unfortunate I think overall as like a commentary that like you know for minorities of color that you have so many things you have to consider you know you have to make sure that like you're getting like a holistic picture of a community whereas like you don't always have these types of considerations for i guess white people um because they are very represented in a lot of ways and so yeah i don't know you can we can go on and on about yeah, this. yeah. i feel
1: like there's so many things i want to like talk about that you just mentioned um which maybe we can talk about another time. I want to just mention a few other things that Lou mentioned in her own research, mm-hmm. which is that that I thought was interesting is um, the effect that it has that in Taiwan, uh, a lot of high schools are just like, just boys or just girls, you know, right. like there's not that many co-ed yes. um, high schools and how, I don't know how this can in some ways have both positive and negative effects on on students. And she brought up actually, I think is a very... Um, kind of looking at a very specific group and how they're affected by this. She was actually talking about um, lesbians, uh, like lesbian girls in high school Mm. and how a lot of them, at least from her research, felt this pressure to be more masculine um, because like they were just surrounded by all these girls and they kind of wanted to stand out in some different way and Mm. or like that, The girls that wanted to date them maybe still wanted to be with someone that seemed like masculine and stronger and it just sort of ended up making them feel like they kind of had to fit this other sort of type um which i just thought is like is is very interesting (laughs) as like i feel like people are becoming more open to different sexual orientations and also more open to different kinds of gender expression um that it is like in some ways creating like extra room for people to not necessarily fit into such clear cut categories. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, even in Taiwan where I do think um, a lot has been done to try to promote gender equality, uh, that yeah, there's definitely still a ways to go. All right, so our next story is about bunnies, which uh, I think sounds very cute, but I know that uh, (laughs) this is not the best time of year necessarily for bunnies.
0: Yeah, so it is the year of the rabbit, and one issue that really um, unites lawmakers across party lines and animal rights activists are actually just about like literally rabbits and the well-being of rabbits. So it's the year of the rabbit, and a lot of people, especially legislators and uh, animal rights activists are concerned about the well-being of rabbits in the sense that they're worried that um people might start buying rabbits you know because it is the year of the rabbit and mm-hmm. that might instill some notion that like oh i should keep a rabbit as pets and mm-hmm. so these people are encouraging um just the public in general to be mindful that rabbits are animals and <laughs> they are you know sent uh sentient beings mm-hmm. um and that they um should instead of if you really want to have a rabbit that you should consider adopting rabbits as opposed to buying rabbits which i think is like the general kind of advice that people give in terms of having uh, animals as pets is just to try and adopt rather than buy
1: yeah i mean i think that this is an issue for lots of different animals that are kept as pets um, around the holidays, because people really love giving kittens or puppies as gifts yeah. on, on Christmas or something like that. I can understand the excitement of bringing a pet into your family. It's like a family member. People, yeah. And I think people in Taiwan really do love their pets you know like they treat them like children pushing them around in carriages and everything and like i mean that's a whole other issue i mean sometimes i think that can cross the line as well but just realizing that this is like you're taking on responsibility of this animal's life you know Mm -hmm. it's not just like enjoying the moment that you like having with them but you're going to be responsible for them and that it's not always all fun and games like cuddles with your little rabbit or something that yeah there's a lot more work and and money and stuff that needs to go into taking good care of a pet
0: for sure and i think they also mentioned not just about like having pets in general that they're trying to promote awareness around um they're also talking about like attending magic performances that involve like pulling a rabbit out of a hat like trying to Uh, not mm -hmm. like go to support those um businesses where they like exploit these rabbits. And so, yeah, I think just in general just like a PSA about like caring for rabbits and rabbits in general is um during the lunar new year. But it's just very interesting to me that this is coming out nowadays like they're coming out to, you know, try and say protect the rabbits where like you um in response to the lunar new year because you didn't really get that during I guess the year of the tiger. <laughs> I I was
1: thinking more like year of the rat. I don't think anyone's oh, yeah. <laughs> ever been like treat the rats more nicely. Yeah, treat the rats more nicely.
0: But yeah, yeah it's just like they're like. But the rabbits we'll do a PSA on the rat. Yeah <laughs>
1: yeah I was actually born year of the rat and I remember being like this is gonna be my year this is gonna be such like a magical year and that yeah. was 2020 where like COVID hit and everything <laughs> and I was just like are you kidding me like I was so excited for year of the rat it was a bit of a letdown oh, but I'm uh, sorry <laughs> no, it's okay Um but yeah I mean even if you're not the hugest fan of uh, the biggest fan of rats I still think that should treat them kindly. I don't think anyone was trying to rush them home to adopt them, but uh, <laughs> This yeah. rabbit
0: PSA turned into a rat PSA.
1: Exactly. They go hand in hand. They <laughs> <too>. <laughs> All right. So the next story that we're going to talk about, when Brendan mentioned it to me, I was like... What? I don't think I've ever heard of something like this happening at a bar before.
0: Yeah, so this is something that I think started around New Year's Eve. So this is a club in Taichung that um, recently um, confirmed their new policy of barring uh, foreigners, especially, uh, specifically white males, from their clubs. So they their reasoning is that they want to pr- uh, protect, I guess, especially Taiwanese girls that are at the club because um over I guess their reasoning was that they've just seen too many instances of and I quote like white tall white males losing control after drinking. Mm-hmm. And so their staff just really had a really hard time mediating and also handling the situation. Because I think if you've ever, you know, gone out, you can definitely imagine how unruly it can be, especially mm-hmm. during the lunar new year. And so yeah. in response, I think you can also imagine that this has been become kind of like a controversial topic mm-hmm. so some people left a lot of like one-star reviews saying how like this is a discriminatory policy and um I th- and i think the club as of now is still sticking by its policy and so yeah i don't know i find it very just fascinating that um this situation came about and that a business would actually go ahead and do that in taiwan
1: Yeah, it's like, I don't think that this decision is the best way to handle this bigger problem of white males being this threatening force, especially when they're drunk. Mm -hmm. But I think like sometimes it takes an action like this for people to kind of build off of it to say, okay, well, this isn't fixing any issue. It's pointing out that there really is a big issue though. And how can we actually fix this? I know that um, when I came to Taiwan one of the things that I really liked most about it was how safe I felt like out on the streets at night and everything, but also especially in bars and in clubs where I felt like when I was going out in the US that my friends and I always had to keep like a very close eye on each other, keep a very close eye on our drinks, um, watch out like who we were talking to and like. Uh, you know being careful if that person was getting too drunk and and that sort of thing or like all of this um like non-consensual touching like out in public Mm -hmm. i feel like in for what i experienced it was always white men doing this sort of thing and i came to taiwan and i felt like people respected each other's personal space more um Mm -hmm. people weren't as like aggressive and everything like that and i don't know exactly why that is if it goes back to this idea of like toxic masculinity that Mm. you know is maybe stronger in the u.s and feeling like oh like i'm a man and i want to talk to girls and this is how i can interact with them by being super forward and everything like that yeah um but yeah i don't know i i mean it's not like every bar can just be like no white men allowed (laughs) and i don't think that white men should be like you know like treated like these monsters but i do think like it's clear that something somehow needs to be done about it.
0: Right. I think you are speaking to like, I am in agreement with what you're saying is that like, it's really hard to do like a blanket statement for an entire demographic that Mm -hmm. um, in Taiwan, but there is an underlying issue of like entitlement. And that Mm -hmm. just seems to be more prevalent amongst like white men that are in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And so what the club says is that like a lot of times maybe could also be like maybe cultural in the sense that like, um, maybe white people, white men's enthusiasm and physical actions towards women um, is there, you know is what they perceive to be normal but then Mm -hmm. Taiwanese women might find that to be as, um, harassment instead, Mm -hmm. and so there's just maybe this lack of like cultural understanding, which again, I definitely see as well Yeah, especially like if you're visiting if you're, um, or if you're new to like a cultural space that um, the way um, physicality is perceived definitely varies, right? I think, especially in the U.S., like, a physical touch may not mean a lot. But, you mm-hmm. know, even if you watch, like, Korean drama or, like, Taiwanese drama, like, a hand-holding oh is, Oh, my like,
1: God, they do, like, slow motion and everything. <laughs> you see the hands touching from, like, 50 different angles. Yeah, and, and that
0: could be, like, the climax of the TV show. Yeah, is that they yeah finally the cliffhanger. <laughs> right, like, do they hold hands? So, yeah. I think the way... um like Taiwanese culture, like perceives physical interaction can, um, you know, be like some sort of culture shock for um, you know foreigners in Taiwan. But also, yeah, just in general, like it does feel very complicated and nuanced. Yeah,
1: and I mean, I think we've brought up a lot of very interesting cultural issues on this sh- on this particular episode, and yeah. obviously, we can't cover it all within the show but uh yeah hopefully it just you know leaves room for discussion yeah. um, not just between us but as uh, all our <laughs> listeners as a whole yeah anyway we're gonna have to wrap up here in taiwan coming up next we have behind the beats you can listen to my program about music in taiwan uh but for now signing off i'm emma banak
0: and i'm brendan wong
1: thanks for tuning in
0: bye